spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Hello, you're listening to Queer Talk, a queer podcast that brings you positive news stories and fabulous interviews. And welcome to a very special episode as we celebrate LGBTQ History Month. Today we're recording remotely for Kingston University. We're joined by Dr. David Nilsson for this LGBTQ plus History Month special. David is a social worker with wide experience in healthcare management and community-based social care organisations in Australia. David has bounced between Australia and the UK in over six universities. And whilst David is a professor with over 20 years of experience, he's not here to lecture us today. He joins us today to discuss growing up gay and reclaiming the word queer. Hi David, welcome to Queer Talk. It's great to sit down with you, albeit virtually, for LGBTQ History Month. If you don't mind, we'd love to hear more about you and your LGBTQ journey. Okay, so I'm David Nilsson. Uh, I'm an Associate Professor in the um, Department of Social Work and Social Care at Kingston University. Been in the UK now for 10 years, or just coming up to 11 actually. And prior to that, I lived in Australia for most of my adult life, and I grew up in New Zealand. So I've kind of had experience of, of uh, living in several different countries. And are you calling us from the UK or Australia? UK. In sunny Kingston? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, downtown where I live if in freezing cold with snow at the moment. It's definitely a time I think we'd all, we all wish we were back in Australia for a lockdown, right? <laughs> I, see, I see as well, things, things have started to open up there. So it's, it's one of those where you're like, oh, okay, I wish that was us. Yeah. But yeah, we are where yeah. we are. I, I did spend two months in New Zealand recently um, for family reasons. And it was just gorgeous weather and uh, entirely different with everybody just walking around without masks. And there are no, 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 nobody with COVID. So very different. So a quick introduction to us. We are Queer Talk and you have joined us on Queer Talk podcast. Now Queer Talk is an extension of For the Love of Queers, which is a platform that amplifies the voices of LGBTQ plus people around the globe. We acknowledge that privilege as cis gay men that we host a podcast called Queer Talk, but it wouldn't be right any other way. Yeah, exactly. So when we started out, the vision for the podcast was for us to create a platform that wasn't just for me and Mufseen to talk about ourselves, although we do a lot of that it was to to give a voice to all lgbtq plus people so each episode we bring in amazing guests like yourself david to discuss another corner of lgbt life yeah and that was really the vision for us and so the queer in queer talk is primarily used as an umbrella term queer as in all sexual minorities or gender minorities who are not heterosexual or cisgendered so i think for both me and spencer when we came up with the name queer talk we were really thinking about its use as an umbrella term for the whole community. I mean, we're we're definitely aware that the origin of the word as an adjective meant strange or unusual, and the word didn't 
necessarily have any connection to LGBTQ plus people. So we wanted to sit down with you today to talk about its origin, to talk about it being used as a slur, and also about reclaiming the word because it's it's not a simple process and it's not a simple straightforward conversation, which we'll, we'll unpack a little bit today. I did a bit of research this time, which Spencer will be very happy about because sometimes I show up on this podcast and never do any research or any planning. But I I did try to find out when was queer ever used for the first time in relation to LGBTQ people. And the first time it was recorded as a slur, a derogatory term for LGBT people, was in 1894 uh, in a letter by the Marquess of Queensbury to his son. And his son was the lover of Oscar Wilde. Uh, so we can pinpoint at least the first recorded time that that word was used. I guess in the hundred years since then, the word has really evolved. I'd actually forgotten about the um, that particular um, part of history. I, I, I do recall that now, actually, now that you say that. I did study English literature many, many years ago. I suppose I wonder, actually, if it's also different around the world and, and uh, in terms of whether this is a UK thing as well, more so than in other parts of the world. And certainly growing up in New Zealand... I don't recall the word being used. It was not a word that I remember from my childhood or adolescence or even early adulthood. You know, when people talked about, uh, you know, I refer to myself as gay, as a gay man. Um, That was the terminology which we took on board around the time that I came out in the early 1980s. But in New Zealand, the the kind of terms, you know, the kind of slang terms or derogatory terms were, you know, things like homo and pufta. There are a couple others that I won't say on a podcast, but... You know, queer wasn't a word that I recall, and and I don't even remember seeing it in literature there or certainly not in the media. So I don't know. I can only speak of my own lived experience, and certainly other people in other parts of the world might have very different kind of understanding of that. And I also grew up in rural New Zealand, which, again, means that, you know, my experience of not living in a major city might have been different from from gay people living in, in, in larger cities as well. So... Yeah, I think this is something we will touch on later is how certain words have different meanings to different people. And that is, like you say, really down to which country you're in, if you're in rural areas or urban areas. Mm. We all attach kind of meanings to words differently. Mm. Interesting that you've, you, when you were growing up, the word queer, it wasn't thrown around at all. So maybe it just completely fell out of fashion in, in, since 100 years ago <laughs> to now. And also when I was growing up, the word pufta was also thrown around, um, but sometimes in a derogatory way, but also I think when I was younger, like that word was also starting to get reclaimed as less harsh. It was certainly pretty harsh when I was, when I was young. <laughs> this, this is the thing because like for me personally, gay was used as an insult, right? People use that to pinpoint me as, as different. And so gay was a word that I was terrified of and I didn't want mm. to say it. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to identify with it. So it's interesting how that's changed because I think it all comes down to context and who it is that's using this language mm. because anything can be offensive, right? I could call you a potato and it's it's very offensive, but we wouldn't ban <laughs> the word potato because it's just a potato, but anything can be used as an insult and I think that's where this conversation becomes so important mm. because there is no right or wrong for this mm. and that's what's so difficult. We're trying to get a community that essentially is is, you know, beyond our our capabilities. There's too many Many people involved to all agree on something and that and that doesn't work that's not how the world works so 
But certainly in, in the early 1980s, I mean, the term gay, certainly for, for gay men, was seen as a much more positive kind of term to be taking on board. And as I said, in Australia, uh, in New Zealand, rather, in my experience, you know, the word that was used in society was homosexual. And, and I wrote an article for, actually for the um, Victoria, I was at Victoria University in Wellington for my first degree. And the um, student newspaper there had a column. And I wrote a co- uh, an article for that, which partly talked about um, the reason why I chose, why I and many gay people chose the word gay rather than homosexual because of the word, you know, homosexual includes that, that bit sex. And it really kind of emphasised sex as, as as the predominant kind of element there. And, and for us, it was saying, well, as gay people, we are much more than just sex. And, and you know, sexuality is, is much more inclusive for a whole range of other attributes. And, and um, that, that was what we were claiming was was being more than just who we slept with. It was, you know, it was, it was a political statement as well. I think it's definitely become more of our identities today. Now, I don't think a, a sexuality is a personality, which a lot of people kind of act like it is which is you know I guess part of finding your people and finding your crowd but yeah it's it's definitely a part of us right who we sleep with it's a big part of us and it's important especially as LGBTQ plus people to to have to figure that out and come to terms with it and explore and all all, everything that comes with it is a lot of I guess a lot of labor a lot of work to to kind of do I was gonna say you just said being gay is not your personality but isn't it kind of it is a big part of your personality surely because being gay isn't just about having sex it's also about how we make communities how we see the world you know informs our art as well so it does filter into a lot of your personality i guess what i was saying was it's not a personality right and i know i know that sounds like i'm saying the same thing i think we are more than just being gay so i understand that Hmm. like me being gay influences the tv i watch and my music taste and my fashion choices and all of that but i'm not just i'm not just what i wear because i'm gay I'm not I don't just watch RuPaul's Drag Race because I'm gay like I watch other things that aren't typically gay like you can't you can't associate those things with being gay every single time because you know anyone can watch anything so so to interject again when I was growing up like like you said Spencer the word gay was used as almost derogatory term uh, which is different to your experience David there was actually a person at university uh, who ran a campaign for the student union because he was really just fed up of people saying that's so gay and again you use that as like oh if someone was wearing camp clothing or act camp you'd be like oh that's so gay and people just use that so flippantly so he actually just ran this campaign to make people aware that this is not okay to use in that way and also going further into my childhood like people would be called gay out in the playground so the word gay for me was something was a word that I wanted to distance myself from even though I knew that I was gay and I guess that's kind of what you're saying David about the word homosexuality is you just well homosexual is that you didn't want to associate yourself with that word because it was too much about the sex and who you have sex with Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so I guess gay for you is like queer for me because I like to use the word queer now yeah I always found it really strange when I heard gay used as a slur, you know, as, as that kind of, oh, it's so gay. I mean, I, I still kind of smile every time I hear that. I know it probably sounds awful to say that, but but I mm. do because I just think, you know, it's so ridiculous, you know, like, how could that be a bad thing? It's, it, you know, it, I just, I, it, I just, I really struggle with it. <laughs> uh, so does the word homosexual still have a negative connotation for you today? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Still. Yeah, it's not a word I use. I don't think virtually ever. It's not part of my vocabulary. I've, I think because I, I grew up with it and it had such a strong clinical, um, psychological kind of labelling. You know, that that was what was happening back then. It was was really around labelling and and very much a, a psychological kind of uh, you know pigeonholing of people into 
normal and abnormal and um, my first degree was in psychology and discuss and you know I can remember reading you know, reading normal psych abnormal psychology and then kind of all those kind of labels that were attributed for different conditions and you know homosexuality was there you know it was back in those days you know it was still in the wow. the DSM how, how did that make you feel uh, well not great uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I suppose it it was it was a you know it, it's yeah coming out experience and then that whole growth it is a it's a learning process and and you you know for me um, I was very fortunate because I was able to engage in, in you know academic endeavor and reading and and you know I, I was very fortunate to be at university have access to a good range of material but I can still remember and this is going back even further back when I was a gosh early adolescent my mother was studying a, a degree in, in education and uh, she was trained to be a teacher in the holidays we would go to a university where she had to do on-campus uh, modules and I can still actually remember going to the library I can't remember how old I would have been it would have been early teenage years and going to the psychology section and finding a psychology text and looking up H for homosexual in the in the in the, ref, in the index at the back to find out more about homosexuality because I didn't know what it was or understood it. I have, still have this really strong memory of going to that library and, and sneaking into the, the psychology section and, and looking that up. It, that's why it kind of sticks with me that the whole H for homosexual. Was that something that was quite a straightforward process for you in terms of coming out? Because obviously you you didn't, I guess that you didn't fully understand what homosexual was, so there wasn't something to come out or come out as until you understood that. But when when you did all this reading, and I guess you associated yourself more and more with that word, how did that then kind of play out? Well, it was interesting because I understood that I was homosexual, you know, or gay. Um, I sort of like using that word, um, but I didn't know there was a community there. I didn't understand the context of it. And it was interesting that my last year of high school, I actually lived with another family because um, my parents moved away for reasons. And at, right at the end of, of high school, uh, my good friend who I was living with uh, and his family went for some reason to the, the neighbouring town and stopped at a, a milk bar or what we call a dairy in New Zealand on the way back. And on the counter was, you know, some magazines. And one of them was, oh, I can't think what it's called now, but it was the local gay magazine in, in, in New Zealand. And um, I had no idea. And, and um, we walked out of the store and he said, oh, did you see the H magazine on the counter? And I was like, what's an H magazine? And he said, homosexuals. And, you know, and I had no idea what it was. So as soon as we got home, I found an excuse to get back in the car and drive all the way back again <laughs> to buy this magazine, to actually read it. And, and I read it from cover to cover in the car. I stopped halfway on the way home, read it cover to cover and discovered there was a whole community out there that I had no idea existed. And so that was the beginning for me of a coming out experience of, I owe it to my very, very uh, straight best friend. I still in contact with him in New Zealand. But, you know, it wasn't, I had no idea that there was this community out there. You know, when you live in a rural area, and I, I imagine this must be the same in, in every country, you know, that when you're isolated, you have no idea what's out there. And, and in those days, there wasn't an internet. There wasn't, there was no way of finding out information. You know, I think, think young people nowadays have some opportunities which we didn't have I think there's some disadvantages too obviously of the internet and, and access to certain materials but one of the things is that they certainly can find out about you know a community that exists that I had no idea existed that was the beginning of a process and obviously I went on to university after that and that was more a growing experience of more access to more information and so it took a couple of years 
to get there. Yeah, I can I can completely relate because I grew up in a small town in North Wales and it's that feeling that you're the only one, yeah. right? You're like, okay, so I'm, I'm the only person like me. I don't know who I am or what I am yet. I haven't worked that bit out. Like what next? Yeah. There, there was a lack of resources, you know, I, I didn't have books what that was and we had a family computer so like I wasn't I wasn't searching like what what are these feelings I'm having on a family computer um so it's just it takes so much longer and I think it it becomes wasted time because if we just knew early on that gay people exist that lesbians exist all of the LGBTQ plus spectrum exists and they're just everyday people Mm. they're builders and dentists and doctors and everyone else you'd just be like, oh, okay, like, it's it's not that big a deal, yeah. you know? But you take we take so long trying to figure out what we are, then if there's any others, and it, it just see, it seems, you know, a disaster because we're there's so many, there's so many LGBT people out there for us to connect with. So, yeah, I, I definitely hear you on that. Mm. Bringing it back to the word queer, where do you kind of stand on that? I know we had a, a little bit of a conversation before today, but where do you stand on that word? Well, I don't personally embrace it. I, I do embrace it as a an option for, for other people. And I think, extending on from what we're just talking about, I think that there are many other options for young people nowadays. It's not just, you're not just pigeonholed into being lesbian or gay. You know, there are other options that are there that, that uh, people can learn about and think about whether they might relate to some of those other elements. And I think queer is a very all-embracing term that enables people to kind of think beyond the norms and boundaries and to say, yes, we are a bit radical. We, we can be different and that's okay to be different you know I, I personally I think it's it's wonderful that there is the you know all these different op- options for people to think about more recently you know um, non-binary I think is again I think wow that's that's an incredibly you know kind of in my day that would have been incredibly radical now it's just just yeah. considered to be well that's just that's just another you know option possibility people can think about and and uh, identify with or not and and I think that's where the power of the LGBTQ plus is that it provides that broad envelope for people to kind of think about where they might fit but queer is a word it's not a word that I'd use for myself but you know I understand that some people might want to use that and that's that sounds terrible to say it's fine isn't it it's <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely okay to say. When you say you wouldn't use the word queer for yourself, do you mean as an identity or would you not consider yourself as part of a quote-unquote queer community? Uh, no, not as an identity, not as a identifier, as a word, but as part of a community, absolutely. And again, I, I probably wouldn't identify, yeah, identi- as a community, I think there's now a much broader community that, that yeah, absolutely I'd want to identify with and, and support, because I think that is about society um, being aware that, that we aren't just option A or option B. You know, there are there are a multitude of options out there and they're all legitimate and they all, you know, we are all different. We're all individualists, you know, who, who can have, and we can change over time as well. People do. Um, People do change well, sexuality and the way they present their gender. Mm over their lifespan and this is one of the things I do like about the word queer using that way is like you, you just touched on it earlier that it, we started reclaiming the word and it's kind of has connotations of like of rebellion so in the 90s that's when we started reclaiming the word and using it as a way to kind of challenge heteronormativity and gender binaries what we're saying with the word queer is it's all encompassing you don't have to pigeon yourself into LGBT you can be all or we're just one but we're all part of one queer community so that's a great thing about queer but i think because it has such like an emotional weight for 
a lot of people because it was used as a derogatory term when they were growing up, used as a word for bullying. You might sit here, David, and say, I don't use queer as an identifier, but I'm part of a queer community. But there will be people there who won't even want to be part of a community that's called queer because it was used in such a way. They'd rather be part of an LGBTQ plus community or just use, they might even say like, just use any other word, please, because I don't like that word. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that we, we use the identifying letters now um, obviously because it's also shorter, but, but it also then means that you don't have, you know, you aren't spelling it all out in, in the same way. So it is the Q rather than the queer. So if you do, if you do feel uh, queasy about the queer, then, you know, use the Q, you know, it, it shortens it and makes it more palatable. I don't, maybe, I don't know, but. Yeah, I, th- I, I think it's a difficult one. We, we'll touch on this uh, in a little while because we, we, we kind of, did a little ask the audience uh, mm-hmm. moment, so we'll, we'll we'll touch on that in a second. Have you? I, I know you said you, you don't use the word queer too often. Have you? Have you had an experience where you've used it and had a negative reaction, or where you've just been really mindful of using it because you you don't want to cause a negative reaction or upset anybody? Because I say I don't use it that frequently, I can't, I can't recall ever having a negative reaction. But that might be simply because. I haven't used it, and again, we as you know, university, we're very we're aware of unconscious bias, and I suppose yeah. that might be one of mine. And and that now that I reflect on it, the fact that I don't use that word a lot, maybe that's partly you know an unconscious bias of mine in terms of the language I use, particularly in a in the university context, in the student context. Gosh, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure what what terms I do use now. That I think about it, I have to go back and listen to some recordings of some of my lectures. I have no idea. <laughs> um, we've just we've just added to your workload. Yeah. You're just going to go back and uh, do some some more digging into into how you teach. Yes. Touching on university, obviously we're doing this talk for Kingston. Do you find that your time there has been... Were you welcomed based on your sexuality? I understand that's not the reason you were there. You weren't going there to be just a gay member of Kingston. But, you know, were you welcomed? I know the staff network started last year, you know, as an academic and as a member of staff there. How has that experience been for you? I mean, I've always been, you know, very forthright about my gender, sexuality. And um, when people talk about partners, of course, I talk about my husband, you know, we've been now married for five years we've been together for 26 years wow congratulations oh yeah <laughs> we got married on, on our 20th anniversary um because it finally became legal <laughs> so i've always been yeah i'm always open about that and and i am with students as well you know you know in terms of you know when when we talk about family and i talk about my husband i talk about the experiences of of raising a gay nephew which was again my nephew ended up living with us as a teenager because he experienced some difficulties growing up in rural new zealand as well came to live with his, his gay uncles and in, in, in a Australia. But going back to the university, I've always felt the universities here in this country are very welcoming and very open. They're very friendly, uh, gay-friendly environments. And I think obviously working in the area that I do, social work and social care, if it wasn't welcoming, there'd be a major problem. So I've got a really great uh, cohort of, of colleagues whom are, you know, are supportive. But e- even in the faculty and faculty meetings, I'm aware of other you know gay people within that, that community. I was aware that, that people were um, going to the gay pride marches, things like that. So, the, you know, it was, it was you know, openly discussed. It's not, you know, it's never been an issue. Has Kingston University got a student LGBT network? It has. 
Uh, again, I think it's relatively new, um, or maybe it's just that I'm relatively new I'm learning about it. But, you know, again, the staff network is, is relatively new in a formal sense, but, you know, there's always been networks of people whom, you know, who, who know each other and, and, you know, it's... it's Having having like a staff and student LGBT network is really, really important, I think, at university because it is, we go to university and then like we need a safe space. Yeah, and I think uh, certainly Kingston has, has really, I think, recognised that they need to embrace it more um that this is something that's probably more becoming more to the fore in terms of consciousness of, of diversity and understanding that this is a an important aspect of diversity because diversity has sometimes been quite narrowly defined uh, i'm part of the joint faculty with st george's and i think st george's were slightly earlier in recognizing this to be honest i think they've had a staff network for longer in fact i got my rain, rainbow lanyard i bought at the 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 st george's um <laughs> uh you know gift shop um you can't buy one at that kingston yet hint, hint. <laughs> not yet <laughs> hint, hint. yeah um, <laughs> it's coming, I'm sure. <laughs> but but yeah, so um, I think it is. I think it's something that the university's coming to understand better the importance and significance of of promoting and supporting diversity within the um, within staff yeah. groups and the student group. But the staff group needs to be there to support the student group. You know, students need to know that there is a network also of staff members whom are there and and are visible and um, are supportive. Um, so I think that's really important for them as well to to appreciate that. Yeah, I th- I came out during college or just at the end of college but university is that time where you really find yourself because you're you're away from home you can literally be whatever you want you can dress however you want you know you can go out and kind of just it feels a bit wild but you're, you're just you know you're able to be yourself and I think I definitely gravitated towards um, the LGBT members of staff because I'm just like okay wow like these people are not only like me but they've done great things and it's nice to see that positive representation right because we often just see you know so and so is a attacked or so-and-so was, you know, we've lost legislation and we're, we're, you know, we get painted as lesser than everyone else at certain times. So to go to a space and to just feel so empowered and inspired by these people, it's so important to have members of staff like you, even, even if you're not, you know, standing out screaming and shouting about the fact you're gay every day, which is, you know, not, not expected and not in the job role. It's so nice to just see you, to see you stood at the front of class going like, this, this is me and this is, you know, the future, <laughs> the future's bright essentially um i think that's such such an important position to be in i I think to be honest i mean i i'm here because it's history month and i'm old um let's be real (laughs) i'm ancient but um it was interesting to me a few years ago when i was talking to students and i came to understand that they are facing the same issues that i was facing when i was their age coming out in university as well and i just assumed the world had moved on so much that everything was was so much better now and and you know with the access to information and resources that things somehow would be better and and I have to say it was it was actually the students who who made me recognize the importance of of having a greater presence and a greater visibility in in, in the university that that they do need to know that there are people in you know uh, in, you know in the, in the academic world that who are like them yeah everyone needs to know that the space is inclusive but also there are role models mm. across the campus yeah so unfortunately not all of the world's problems have been resolved since. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> in the last 40, 40 years. Honestly, well, that's that's the thing. It's like, it's like a process. It seems to be repetitive because if university is the place where you find yourself, for those that go to university, every every new group of students that arrive miss the miss the other group of students, and and so it it just yeah. starts again and again and again. And something we try and promote a lot, and and the reason you're actually here today is not just because you're old. It's because these intergenerational <laughs> conversations need to happen because you you sharing your knowledge and your experiences is so important for us to learn because it just opens it opens our eyes and hopefully we open your eyes and it's just like okay that's what's actually happening and if we were all talking about what's actually happening on the same page we don't need to agree but if we weren't just like okay the over 50s go here the over 40s go here the over 30s go here and we all just go to our separate Mm. you know groups essentially we'd we'd never know what was going on and so so it's really important for conversations like this to take place because we get a better understanding of why certain words don't resonate with you or don't work with you or don't sit right with you and you get a better idea of why the younger generation think queer is so wonderful and it's about that mutual respect and understanding and going okay certain things work for certain people and we we all just need to be mindful of that so i'm i'm really grateful for this opportunity and i I hope you know we we're able to have more conversations like this uh moving forward the last kind of segment of the episode we're almost you know coming to the end but we we wanted to discuss reclaiming the word queer today now just to bring it back to your personal experience before we do the the little you know ask the audience segment um what do you think i mean i think the word homo has been reclaimed because i hear it a lot um but do you think personally that's a word you could ever you know learn to love no no (laughs) one word answer no no (laughs) yeah because you know it's so ingrained it's you know your early early life experiences are very formative and that whole Hmm. period before coming out that's a a word with with strong connotations for me and and it's just something that i could never learn to love it just seems so reductive and um yeah that's okay that's okay if you don't want to use that word (laughs) (laughs) to me to me that word sounds a bit too clinical if I'm honest, yeah, yeah. it doesn't sound like something I want to um, shout off the rooftops. Yeah. I, I'd far, far more readily embrace queer um, than, than homo. Well, this this is something that became quite apparent to us. So we have a relatively good following on Twitter and we put out the question, how does the word queer make you feel? So we weren't saying, you know, do you use the word yes or no? We're saying, you know, how does it yeah. make you feel? Because that's what that's what's important. And for, we were quite surprised, but we ended up getting over like 300 responses because a lot of people have a lot of opinions on this and it was really good to see. And that there's lots of different splits in terms of, you know, background, age, generation, and also geography. And you're very confident in, in where you're at with the word homo. But these people feel that way towards queer too. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's good... And like I just said, it's important to know that we need to find a common ground because you you have every right to feel the way you feel based on your experiences. And so does everyone else, right? So it's about finding that common ground and making sure that when you have conversations, you're able to respect everyone. Common ground as in mutual respect. 
not yeah. coming not coming to one opinion no yeah absolutely okay, not good. what one opinion what, if we all had the same opinion we'd we'd be boring i was gonna say the way i heard that was like we all need to agree on one thing <laughs> no absolutely not Dis- disagreement is the best but as long as there's respect that comes mm. with that we're, we're all good so there's a there's a big range of responses so we'll should we just dive into them yeah let's have a look so the first person is michael he him said conflicted it's a term i know others have adopted and i support their use of it it's a term that feels different depending on context it can feel like a slur i recognize its inclusivity and non-specificity i reject the idea that homosexual is unusual oh interesting i i like that actually i i think that's actually a really interesting insight or you know thinking that that we aren't unusual that we are we're now usual um, and i suppose that is that's a that really is i really i really really do like that actually i think that's a fantastic response um i hadn't quite put it in that thought in that way and i think that is again thinking about where society has moved to you know i i do remember at a time when it did feel like we were a minority um and you know, we used to talk about percentages you know was it five percent of the population was it ten percent of the population or it's you know but you'd be far too inflated to think it was ten percent you know all of these debates that used to happen well, who cares you know like now it's just we're just part of a part of the community it's, it's like it doesn't it's not it's irrelevant so i quite like that response i think that fits very nicely with with how societies have moved on absolutely the answer is 2.5 percent but okay <laughs> <laughs> the next person uh, elliot who uses they them pronouns said it makes them feel empowered it takes the pressure off how i fit into the lgbtq plus because i don't fully know yet since i'm not pushing myself for answers i've been a lot happier with my identity um so i was going to ask you about this it's great that so many labels exist because we're able to relate or resonate with certain words but labels can also be really difficult mm. because it the, the pressure to pick one yeah. is a lot right because i guess cisgendered heterosexual people don't spend a lot of time thinking about this and and we can spend years trying to figure out what label we're supposed to have it's it's great to see that the word is able to you know take off the pressure a little bit because we we shouldn't have to embrace that pressure and we shouldn't have to face it mm. I, I particularly like if, you know, when you think about the coming out process and again, uh, thinking that there is a time in life when when you are exploring and you are uh, trying to understand who we are and where we fit in the world in, in many senses, not just in terms of sexuality, you know, or gender. I mean, I, and I think there is, I think it's even more important for that period of life to have a, an inclusive term where people can feel that they don't have to make a decision. And I, I, so again, I think that it has enormous value for a. I mean, this may be just me as an, an older person, you know, um, but it seems to me that. Uh, for the for for young people um you know early stages of life that this is particularly you know a valid point to to be thinking about yeah yeah i mean i guess it's one of those things that the term lgbtq can't offer that queer can Mm. Mm, yeah absolutely so the next one i inwardly flinch intellectually i accept that queer is an incredibly useful powerful and welcoming label and i'm glad there is one mostly younger people are happy using emotionally it was abusive for so long that i don't know if i'll ever be comfortable using it that was from alex he him mm. and I, I suppose i could i if you had asked me 10 years ago i probably had the same response in once in one yeah and that that for me queer seemed an, an odd sort of term but so i think it is where you are in your life and and, and life stage the other thing that i that occurred to me just a, a few minutes ago was was thinking about the word queer is that i think of you know the, the television series queer as folk um which was huge and was again remade in america and extended out so there's there's two two series of queer as folk but 
it kind of put the word out there again a bit more, I suppose, and, and thinking about reclaiming it and um, and it just being a word that it has a positive association now for me in terms of that really lovely series, which which really pushed boundaries and, and um, you know, kind of said it how it is kind of thing. So I, I suppose, and again, what I really loved about the original series was, of course, that the, the queerest folk is, comes from the saying, it's, it's a Manchester saying, isn't it? Something like that, where, where you know, there's nothing... It's a northern saying that means no one's stranger than people themselves. Yeah, I quite like that. And I, I quite liked how it, it was a riff then uh, on, you know, it's queer as folk. But anyway, so I've gone on to a bit of a tangent. Queer, you know, but that's such an important thing to say because um, it was from the early 90s, mm-hmm. which was the same time that the word queer was starting to get reclaimed, both in activism and also in academia. So queer theory started becoming used as like a name for uh, studying identities. So it was all kind of happening around the same time in the early 90s where we were starting to reclaim this word and it started to have more uh, positive connotations around it. Mm. One of the people um, who replied actually said, I've always found the word empowering. I was coming out and learning about myself and about gay stuff when Queer as Folk debuted. So I think you know again that that show <laughs> it educates you and it's weird to be educated on yourself when you're already yourself just to see your behavior mirrored yeah. and to see it kind of um you know given the okay it just makes you feel it just makes you feel i guess you know real it gives you rural boys some context yeah <laughs> and, and it's still the same i mean still nowadays i think that's that's still really important in media that we see images and and you know, again going back to the dark ages i can remember in the early 80s going to um film festivals in in in, in new zealand and you know basically anything that had anything gay in it was sold out immediately because everybody rushed to see it and to get to see an image of gay people on the screen being portrayed in some way was a huge deal back then and and there just wasn't the media kind of you didn't see anybody on television it was so so rare so laura she her said I find queer describes my sexuality and my membership of the community in one, more than LGBTQ plus does. It allows for fluctuation without having to define by a particular label or letter, which I think is why I like um, it. Is, it is, I suppose it was intended to be all embracing was, was originally how it was queer politics. As you say, going back to the early 90s, that was the intention was to, to find something which was more all embracing and not labeling in, in, of, of, you know, in, of individual groups. So I suppose in that sense, it, it's fantastic that she's able to, to identify that one of the things I like about what she said is it describes my membership of the community mm. and for me that that's kind of the reason why even though gay is my sexuality a lot of the times I'll say I'm queer because I want to show my allyship and like my queer card I guess uh, to say that I'm not just part of a gay community I'm part of this wider amazing community yeah. with lots of different people with lots of different like whatever labels or no labels so for me like that's kind of why I use the word queer sometimes mm. yeah and, and we are stronger together as a community, so I think you I think you're right. It's, it's it, to point out that she, you know, used that word community that because it is about community. It's about a, a larger entity of people, all of whom have some something in common in terms of an experience, uh, an understanding of the world, and and the challenges which we face in the world. Uh, and I think that's what unites us, and has always united us, is that that common understanding of of difference and how that is played out in in a myriad of different ways. It's it's interesting because um, I imagine that those that were used 
using it as a slur or maybe still are they don't hesitate to go oh are, are you gay or are you lesbian are you bisexual they'll just say like you're queer right that was just an insult regardless of mm. how you identified they wouldn't stop and ask questions first so in terms of reclaiming the word we're taking it back as a whole because we it was used against us as a whole mm. you know that for me was kind of my yeah. understanding of why we needed to reclaim it is because if you're going to use this against all of us this isn't a gay issue this isn't a trans issue this is an issue mm. that we all as a group of people who aren't heterosexual and aren't cisgender are, are facing we should tell them that we've copyrighted it they, they haven't got a, a right to use it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely a lot of this conversation is about like the power of words against used against us so that's kind of why reclaiming a word is so powerful as well because the opposite is true if a word can make you feel so bad that you you carry that shame and that weight and that offense for your whole life then also reclaiming that word can have you know opposite positive effect i think yeah absolutely yeah, definitely so i guess the final one which is a good kind of i think this is a good piece of advice to end on but some find it liberating and some find it triggering let's please be respectful at both ends but especially to those who do find it triggering as that could be due to abuse and and their past let's not invalidate that person's trigger because you yourself have no issue with the word and that's exactly what um i was saying to you about the h word and it's valid okay we can't dismiss why you don't like the word or why how it was used against you at what point in your life at what stage words can be used in a negative and this goes back to my analogy of the potato very early on in the episode because if it's used as an offence and that's used against you, then you're not going to appreciate the word. But if we can also take a word and use that to make ourselves feel powerful, which is what Mavsim was just, you know, getting at, then that's really special too. So, so yeah, thank you to Brian, who uses he, him pronouns for being the middle ground. Brian, Brian is Switzerland in this situation and, um, and that's really helpful. <laughs> It is hard to know, though, isn't it, uh, in terms of we can't make assumptions about what words are going to be triggers for other people. And, and that does mean that there needs to be a sensitivity around that. And, and that can only happen through having those conversations, which is, again, probably why we're here today. It's about conversations, isn't it? Mm. It's about saying we, we, we have to ask and, and you have to find out. Um, you can't make assumptions. And, and it may be based on generation. It may not be. Um, it might be based on class. It might be based on geography or history. You know, it, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is why I love uh, speaking to academics because the the answer to every essay that I ever wrote in uni was that there is no answer. We just need to ask more questions. <laughs> the answer is it depends. Yeah, it it depends. <laughs> Okay, well, I think we're done. Well, we just have to re redefine LGBTQ plus P now to add the potato at the end. <laughs> and this is this is potato talk. Welcome to potato talk. <laughs> just just to clarify, I wasn't comparing queer people or LGBTQ plus people to potatoes. Um, <laughs> very different, um, but it was a great analogy, and I'm taking full credit. So that everyone is the end of our History Month special with Kingston University. Thank you very, very much for listening. It's been a delight to have you, David. Thank you. It's been lovely to speak to you both, Masoom and Spencer. And don't forget to let us know what you thought about this episode on Instagram and Twitter. We're on Instagram at queer underscore talk. And on Twitter, we are at queertalk underscore. Until next time. Bye-bye.